How about Captain Sullenberger, huh, man? A hero? He's a hero! But he's not allowed to think that he's a hero. That's one of the rules about being a hero. You're not allowed to think you're one. They have to ask you if you think you're one, and you have to say no. And then everything's good. You think you're a hero, Captain Sullenberger? No. I don't think I'm a hero. Good. He's a hero who don't even think that he's a hero. What a hero! All's good in the world. I think it would be okay to admit it. It was kind of obvious. <laughs> Captain Sullenberger, do you think you're a hero? Yes. <laughs> Did you see the footage of that plane coming in? You have any idea how hard that was? <laughs> Wings level, nose up, tail down. I'm a hero. Because <laughs> I saved everybody's life. That Brian Regan, he's a funny man. You know, you, uh, we have a vibe here at Grace, at Christmas at Grace, where we try to create a mood. We try to do that in the summer. You probably don't know that. We lighten things up a little bit. Um, our bulletins are a little brighter. We bring in more humor. People can learn through humor. Some people can learn better through humor. So that's why we played that video. And I think it has something to do with the sermon. I hope. <clears throat> yeah, I just like Brian Regan a lot. Uh, today we're going to look at what could be the single greatest uh, issue in our faith walk faith journey with God. You want more faith? Maybe. Maybe you don't need any more faith. Maybe it's, maybe it's the wrong kind of faith. Maybe it needs to be the same faith, but a purer version of that, a better faith. So that's what we're going to be looking at today when Jesus is going to tell a story that reveals truth. He's going to be answering the question that the disciples posed to him, or they're making a statement. Look what it says in Luke chapter 17, 5 and 6. The apostles said, Lord, increase our faith. Right. I mean, that's a good thing to ask for. Why not? Increase our faith. And the Lord said, look, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you'd be able to say this mulberry tree right here, be uprooted and planted into the sea and it would obey you. So Jesus is saying it, it's not the amount of faith that is the problem. More is not better. It, it's the quality. If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, that's all. That's all that's required. It's about the purity of faith. It's about the quality of faith. It is about the, the right perspective. If you had that kind of faith, that big, you could say to this giant tree right here, go for a swim. And the tree would say, okay, I'm off. That's what Jesus is talking about, a different kind of heart. He's, he's not talking about like a moral reformation, kind of extrinsically doing God's will. He's talking about a transformed soul, one that overflows, spills in gratitude. That's what he, when you read the parable, okay, a parable is a story that reveals truth. When you read this parable we're about to, just four sentences, keep in mind, this is the subject matter. It's not more faith. It's a different kind of faith. It's, it's, it's the way we view ourselves. It are, is our perspective about God. It is 
our, our value, how we value ourselves, how we keep score in that way. So here's the four sentences. Here's what Jesus says. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. <clears throat> Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now, uh, sit down, you can eat now. And the disciples, no, no one does that. Uh, wouldn't he rather say, okay, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink, and then you can eat and drink later. Sure, that's the way it works. Will he thank the servant because he did all that he was told? No. Assumed no. Here's the punchline. So you also. When you've done everything that you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. There it is. There it is. I thought we were having a fun summer series. That's a, not a very fun little story to tell. What, what, is, what is gnawing at your soul right now about that? Look at that sentence, right? What, what irritates us when we see Jesus speaking that way and saying, this is the way your faith ought to be? What causes us to squirm? Here's the problem. We were designed to serve. We were designed to be slaves, slaves of God and slaves of others. And then the first family, Adam and Eve, they crashed all of humanity into a tree and told them, totaled us. And now we're concussed. We're all concussed. All our souls are demented and we're perpetually looking for ways to be praised. We're competitive. We're, we're looking at selfish ambition. We're constantly comparing ourselves with other. We know where all the mirrors are. We see a group photo. Oh, there I am. Okay, now I can look at the rest of the photo. We want to be praised. We need to be thanked. That's not the way we were designed. That's what happened after the crash. The closer we get to Christ, the more we get the faith that he's talking about, the purity of the faith, the, the more gratitude that we have and the way we live our lives the way we were designed to. The problem is not having enough faith. It's not more faith that's required. It is this other identity. It is who we are and how we perceive ourselves to be in the eyes of God. Now, the, we're going to have to look at a lot of the details to make the full, you know, to fully comprehend what, what he's talking about here. And the first thing we need to look at for clarity's sake, because I'm, I'm sure we're bringing in some, some probably uh, biases here, is the word slave or servant. Now, in the Bible, when it says slave or servant, it is completely different than the American experience and our history of slavery and servitude, okay? So don't, you, don't even think that way. I know it's hard not to, right? Or don't think of most of the world's definition of slavery. This is Roman. In the Roman times, you, you need to know three things about their view of slavery. When, when the apostles heard this, when the disciples heard this, this is what they were thinking, one, three things about the word slave or servant. One, very common. Very common in the Roman culture. As a matter of fact, in the major cities like Rome and Corinth and, and other metropolitan areas, a, a third of the population were slaves at that time. And then, in addition to that, another third had formerly been slaves. So two out of three people that you would run into in a, in a, in a big city had slave on their resume. Very common. Second, 
any and all work was uh, permitted by slaves. In other words, there was nothing beneath them and there was nothing above them. Uh, If you were, quote, a slave or a servant, you could be a philosophy teacher, you could be a physician, you, you, uh, you could be the chief operating officer of the, the master's company, you, you could be the street sweeper too. Didn't matter your status as being a slave, you did what was best for the master. Third, this is most important in all of this, is status. Social status in Rome was slaves had a had a better social status than some free people. Because some free people, they had to figure out how they were going to make a living one day at a time. They were like day laborers trying to figure out, what am I going to have to do today to, to, to make ends meet? A slave could be someone, they got their status by their owner. They lived in the wake of their, their owner's reputation. And so it was very common, this is why two out of three people would have this in their experience, it would be very common for someone to get tired of being a day laborer and trying to figure out how things are, are, are going to work out. And they would find an owner, a wealthy person, and they would realize that's a nice person. He is kind to his slaves. He gives them dignity and some job, maybe a job that I could do well. And they sell themselves into that slavery. And that's called a bond slave or a bond servant. You own me. Will you buy me? I'm for sale. Take me. And so that's That word, that's the definition of slave that the apostles, the disciples heard when they heard Jesus say, look, you've been working out in the field, you've been plowing and harvesting, whatever, you've been working with the cattle, all that's good and well, and then you come in, right, I mean, this is the Middle East, you're hot, cooked by the sun, covered in dirt and dust, the sun finally starts to set on you, you come inside the ranch house, and the owner says, good. Perfect timing, make me dinner. Then go clean yourself up, then clean everything up else up, and then you can eat and drink after that. Sure, that's the way it is. That's the way it was. That's the quality of faith Jesus is talking about. So that if we have that kind of faith change, that's what changes and transforms the heart. This this I finding ourselves our bragging rights, I guess, right, is that we are bond servants or we are unworthy slaves. We are unworthy slaves. Look at the, here's the punchline. Look at 9 and 10. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? No. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. That's the way we live our life of faith. Now, it's important, be careful, this is not how God views us. If you read in the Bible, you'll see Jesus talks about this, that when God looks at us, he, we're servants, we're slaves, all right, but he says, here's a life verse many of you live for. Well done, my good and faithful slave. You've been trusted with a little and were faithful, and now I'm going to trust you with a lot. Come and share in your master's happiness. That's the, the Lord's view of us. This that we're talking about here in Luke chapter 17, this is how we view God. This is how we are to think about God. That we're to see ourselves, our identity is wrapped up in this, that we are unworthy slaves. We just did our job. As a matter of fact, look, here's, here's the punchline right here. We're going to say this several times. We're going to go 
full-blown Episcopal here. Put that up on the slide here. It says, I am an unworthy servant. I have only done my job. Let's all say that together. I'm an unworthy servant. I've only done my job. Embracing this attitude, that's what changes. That was the issue the disciples were being taught. That is the single biggest issue in the church today, I think. People have expectations from God and others that no slave would ever have. And then, obviously, those expectations are disappointed, and they never get met. And so they become sad and then angry and then bitter. And then here's the story. I've heard it a lot. Well, you know, I tried that. I did some stuff in the church, and, and I'm done. I'm just done. Did you try being a slave? Or did you try, like, having this other... Did you have a big faith that was all about you? Or was it a mustard seed faith where you were just grateful that you were an unworthy servant and you just did your job? Did you try that? That's the faith Jesus was talking about. doesn't take much. It's just pure. Three truths that are found in, in this declaration by Jesus. Three truths so that you can better understand you know, how we are to look at God. First, first truth, we're slaves. We are slaves. We are owned by God. In, in one book alone, uh, Paul's writing the Corinthians, and he says, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, right, glorify God with your body. The very next chapter, he says in chapter 7, he says, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Clearly, he's just talking about slavery. You've been bought with a price. What was the price? The life of Jesus Christ. Yeah, he paid a high price to buy us. He owns us. And slave, are we slaves? We are slaves. Bob Dylan, the prophet Bob Dylan said it. You may serve the devil or you're going to serve the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. This is late in his career. He's starting to figure this out. He's just quoting Paul again. In Romans chapter 6, most of chapter 6 is dedicated to this value. You're a slave. Now just choose your owner. Romans chapter 6, summarized like this. You've been set free from the slavery of sin, so become slaves of righteousness. We're all slaves. We are all slaves. We're slaves to something. Think about this. Some of you are uh, slaves to fear. You live your life around fear. Who would you be, what would your life be like if you didn't worry? If you, if you weren't consumed with controlling people and circumstances around you? That's, that's, that would be the new you. That would be this under a better owner. Some, some, some of us are slaves to people liking us or being approved by people. What if you weren't a slave to that? What if you didn't care? What if we could take that out of your psyche completely, right? Would that affect where you live? Would that affect where you work? Would that affect your, your parenting? How you parent? What other people think about your parenting? We're slaves. We are all slaves. And Jesus says, you want to experience freedom? Freedom comes, you enjoy the freedom that you get when you are my unworthy slave, just doing your job. You're, you're just a slave to the king of all kings. That's his appeal. You're a slave. 
Second, he says, we're just doing our job. We, we have, when we have done everything we've been told to do, our attitude is we are unworthy slaves. We have only done our job. Uh, we, should say this, we should say our chant again. This is our memory thing. Let's, everybody, I am an unworthy servant. I have only done my job. Sounds harsh, right? I mean, after, after we've done everything, you, you're just an unworthy slave. You've just done your job. Kind of blunt, right? Brutal. Here's, I have found this to be true. When I find a passage in the Bible that I don't like, I say this. Dear God, I don't like that verse. I don't like it at all. That hurt my feelings. Then I wait, sometimes just an hour, but sometimes a couple days, and I'm listening because I'm going to say that phrase. It's going to come out of my mouth, and all of a sudden, it's not so harsh, and maybe I understand it a little better. You're just an unworthy slave. You just did your job. Wow, we say that to each other. Think about this. Um, we tell a little parable, okay? Yeah, you have an older, seasoned school teacher, and she has taken on uh, a student from the university, and she's a student teacher, and she's helping her learn the ropes. She's very gifted, the student teacher is, and she's helping her, and she's doing such a great job that she, the older uh, teacher pr- pr- uh, submits her for, like, student teacher of the year. Then the day comes. It happens. She wins student teacher of the year. Yeah. Goes up on stage, standing ovation, gets a plaque, photos with the mayor, the whole thing. The older teacher sitting in the audience and sees something and goes, uh-oh, I don't know, maybe. A week later in their conference time, she says, listen, when you were up on that stage, you kind of had this look, kind of like, I'm a hero. And she said, yeah, I felt like a hero. She said, you're not a hero. I know. You were the first one to work. You were the last one to leave. You worked hard. You did a great job. But you know what? You're no hero. You just did your job. That's all you did. And you, you've, you've got to understand, weeks, months, years are going to go by before anyone ever says thank you. And so you need to be working and living for something else. Don't let that applause and that plaque go to your head. Don't let it motivate you. You're not a hero. You just did your job. Now, why would that older teacher say such a harsh thing to the younger teacher? Because she's jealous? Because she's envious? Because out of spite, maybe? She was the one who nominated her for teacher of the year. She said it because it's true. She said it maybe because she loved the girl. She says, this is the way it works. You want to be in this for the long haul? You want to be like a career teacher? You can't live for that applause. You can't think anything except you just did your job. That's how you stay true. That's how you become a great teacher for a long time. It's just true. People in, 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 in the military or first responders, police, firefighters, those sorts of people. Like, I, I'm the reason we played the uh, Brian Regan thing. It's like they train these guys, right, in boot camp or at the academies. I think, I think they do this. It seems like it because that's their punchline. It's like they put, them, they put them in front of a camera and they say, okay, you just saved a busload of orphans on the way to church, okay, single-handedly. You're a hero. And they say, no, I'm not. 
If they do, yeah, I am a hero. Go run laps until you throw up. <laughs> then come back. You're not a hero. Why would they do that? Because it's true. Those disciplines aren't going to get a lot of thanks. That's not what should be motivating a person to do that. They're not heroes. They're just doing their job. Watch this. You've said this before. Okay, let's say you have a teenage son, all right? And, and it's a full moon, and all the planets in our solar system have lined up in a very special way. And so this boy of yours cleans his room and mows the lawn, okay? And then he starts clucking around the house for the rest of the day. It's going to be a long day because he's you know, I cleaned the room and mowed the lawn. I cleaned the moon. My, I cleaned my room and mowed the lawn. I cleaned my room and mowed the lawn. And what do you say? You're no hero. No, I am a hero. Dad, did you ever think you'd have a hero? No, you're not a hero. You've just entered the game, pal. Thank you for joining the family. You just did your job. You just did your job. See, sounds pretty good when we say it. Look, I'm just a pastor. You guys are, yeah, I can tell you some things about ministry. This issue right here, it's a freshman mistake that sidelines long-term veterans right here. It's people in, they're serving the church and they're thinking, I'm a hero. It's rattling around in their head and they have expectations, but they're not expectations of a servant. They're expectations of a hero. It's like, I helped serve in the children's ministry. I took the youth on a retreat. I, I led a mission trip. You know, I, I, I set out the coffee and the donuts and all that stuff. And, and I'm telling you, if you're looking for pats on the back, it, you won't last. It won't go long. I mean, all it's going to take is one person out there. It's like, where are the donuts? We don't have enough donuts. And these are cold. Why aren't they warm? And then you're going to just like throw the donuts down and say, I'm done here. And you're, you leave angry or bitter. It's like, I didn't get recognized. And some people do ministry in that way. And it doesn't happen. It does not end well. This is the thing that haunts me. When I get weak emotionally, sometimes physically and spiritually, this, when I start doubting the time and the energy and the input that I've given a person or a ministry, this is the siren that calls me to my own destruction. Why don't they praise you? Why didn't someone say thank you? And Jesus says, so, looked really hot out there while you were plowing and ranching and tending to the estate, good, make me dinner. And then after you get cleaned up and clean everything else up, then you can eat and drink. But you're just an unworthy servant. You just did your job. That's the kind of faith he's talking about. Not a reformation of morals so that we would do God's will but a transformation of the heart. The problem is not needing more faith. The problem is what kind of faith? A better, purer faith that's based on a value of who you are. It only needs to be that big. Look what it says. Let's say it out loud. 
I'm an unworthy of my job. The servant, the slave, there's something about this person that they've settled something deep within their soul, intellectually, emotionally. They've just rested. They know God doesn't owe them a thing, and they're good with that. This, that's how the transformation takes place. The beat of their heart is this. I am just an unworthy servant, and I've only done my job. That's it. Three things we, we find in this passage that are transformative for us. We're slaves. We're just doing our job. This one, this next one, it's key. It's critical. Could be the big one that changes everything. It's we're an unworthy servant. We're an unworthy servant, just, excuse me, doing our job. Spiritual transformation takes place when we realize, you know what? God doesn't need me. <laughs> God doesn't need you, Right? And yet he buys us at this exceptionally high expense to buy us out of slavery, but he doesn't need us. He is, he's all-knowing, all-powerful, right? all-present. What, what are we doing? The, the plowing, the harvesting, the making of meals, that's for us. We get to spend time with him. I mean, look, he doesn't... Uh, you might have had this experience when you were a child or maybe as a parent. When you, help, when you have your little three, four, three, four, five-year-old child come up, get on the chair, you know, and help you make pancakes. Do you need their help? Is eggshell pancakes really your favorite? Are pancakes supposed to crunch? No. No, no, no. And then the cleanup, it, it takes twice as long to make it. It takes three times as long to clean up. I'm a hero. I made pancakes. I chipped a tooth on your pancakes. <laughs> he doesn't need us, and he bought us anyway. He could get all these things done, but he brings us into the relationship so that we might do our job. We're an unworthy servant. He doesn't need us. Here's the other part of the, the unworthy part is remember I told you in the definition of, of a Roman slave where they got their status? There it is, right there. You got your status by who owned you. We are unworthy and yet we're owned. We are a bond slave. We saw what was out there, all the servants, all the slavery options that were available to us, and we said, I want you to buy me. I want to be owned by you. I want to be owned by the creator of all things. I want to be the slave of the most holy God. And when he tells me what to do, oh, I'm going to do it because I love him. When he tells me where to go, I'm a slave, but I'm going because I love him. He first loved me. He bought me. He owns me. Love. The greatest expression of, of slavery in all of humanity, past, present, and future, is love. Love is the greatest servitude. Right? The greatest of these is love. When we love things, love someone or something, we'll do, we'll do for love that we will never do for pay, right? Like look, look at our examples, like the teacher, right? Teachers, who you know a teacher that does it for the great pay? I haven't met them. 
But when they have the conversation, you know, the older teacher with the younger teacher, she says this, here's how you get motivated to, to thrive in this business. Here's how you stay for the long haul. You do it for the love of the vocation, the love of the children. Look, I'll bet, I'll bet money that when you were five years old, you lined up your stuffed animals and you taught them. How'd you know? Because I know good teachers. It's how God made you. And you need to continue doing that, not to be a hero, but because you love what you do and you get to do it. You're not doing it for the pay. You think first responders, you think police and firemen and, and soldiers, do you think they do it for the pay? Can you imagine if we had wars based on pay? They'd be very short wars. Why do they do it? In their training, in those boot camps, at those academies, they talk about the love of people and the love of their nation. That's what motivates them. They try to be a hero. It doesn't go well. They try to get thanks from people. It won't happen for the most. Parenting. Do you parent for the pay? I think, it's, I think we're on the other side. I think we pay to parent. So when you ask your son or daughter to do something and you want them to do it for love and they keep trying to make a hero out of themselves, what changes? If you've, if you've lived long enough, they leave. They leave. And when they come back, they've kind of been part of other expressions of slavery and they start realizing that when you said, you're lucky to be part of this family, now they say, yeah, I kind of am. You're lucky to live in this house. Yeah, I am. I love this house. I love my parents. And that's what will motivate me. It's not about being a hero. It's not about the accolades. It's not about being thanked. It's just about love. It's what you do. You do things for love that you'd never do for money. Can I tell you about ministry? When people walk around, have you seen all the selfless serving that I've been doing around this church? Yeah, I have. I couldn't help because you keep bringing it up. <laughs> Think about this. You get to serve. You get to serve the king. You get to serve the king by serving his bride. All the work you do, you're welcome I mean, of all the, all, all the gifts you could ever give, I mean, the, the love that you might have for Jesus Christ and what does he love? He loves his church. And then when you serve here, you feel what? His, his, his joy? That's how you thrive and succeed in ministry. You, you do it for love. You do it because that's who you are. You're just an unworthy servant, but you were bought by him. That's the kind of faith. It's just that big, but boy, it has power. This is the saying that we live and die by. Let's say it, everyone. I'm an unworthy servant. I've only done my, and look, we were designed to serve. We were designed to be a slave. And, and, and after, after the fall, after the wreck, then we, like, we were bent towards people pleasing or being you know, self-protective or self-control, you know, promoting ourselves. It's, it's always projecting ourselves some, some, in some context of self-promotion, self-protecting, 
something, right? It's all about us. We're the center of the universe. It takes a long time to get over this. There, there was a good book. Uh, Miles Stanford wrote a book on discipleship. And what he did was he like, kind of summarized about 300 years of men and women of the faith and looked at some common factors that caused them to live such great and glorious lives for the glory of God. And one of the things he found out, you know, D.L. Moody and Amy Carmichael, those types of people, if you know those names, he said this, it took on the average about 15 years for each of these men and women to realize that they were just working for God instead of letting God work through them. They were, they were just being compliant and obedient and dutiful, but it took quite a number of years for them to lose themselves, become self-forgetful, and just be a conduit for God's power and spirit to roll. Their identity changed from them being free or enslaved to their ego to them being enslaved to the freedom that comes in being an unworthy servant just doing their job. Here's, here's what he writes in, the, in this book. He goes, this, was a, this is a giant transformation, and that transformation can only come by, by the way of a servant life. When Christ is working through you, you do not focus on your own needs because you're walking in his abundance. You don't think about your rights because you died with Christ. God takes away our rights when we are crucified with Christ so that when we live in Christ, the resurrected life, he can just flow through us. In turn, we are set free. Though we have been crucified with Christ, we live with him. We have his life in us. And, and, and all the things that were holding us back before, sin, idolatry, self-promotion, self-protection, they've all been put to death. And we are finally free. A servant, a slave better, a slave, an unworthy slave, has a peace about them. They have resolved this issue in their spirit, intellectually and emotionally. God doesn't owe them anything. God does not owe them anything. And they think it would be if they could just be an unworthy servant of the great high king. That's their identity. Is that enough? Is that enough to live on, to give your life for, to have as your definition of value to be an unworthy servant of the Lord and the creator, of the king of kings, that you're just an unworthy servant and you are owned by the creator? Is that enough? It only takes that much. And if you had that kind of faith, that little of that kind of faith, you could say to one of those grand oak trees right out there in our courtyard, go jump in the lake. And the tree would say, okay, I'm on my way. There's a great story. You know the story. Maybe you didn't understand the fullness of the story, but there's a great story in the Bible. Gabriel, the angel, comes and visits Mary. She's a teenage girl, and Gabriel says, I've been sent from the Lord God, and he wants to destroy your reputation for all of your life. You're a righteous and holy girl, but that's not the way people are going to remember you, and he wants to borrow your body. 
so that he might impregnate you miraculously and you would bear the Messiah. And she said, so what you're saying is from now on, everybody's going to remember me as a hero. I'm going to be a hero. She did not say that. Here's what she said. Mary responded, I am the Lord's slave. I'm the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's unworthy servant. May everything have you have said about me come true. She said it. She knew it. That was what was in her heart. She didn't have a lot of faith, just that much. And that's all it took. That's all it took for her to be the mother of Jesus. A virgin conceives by the power of the Holy Spirit that much faith. It's the right kind, right purity, right attitude. That's it. Look at you, your career. Wow, it explodes. You're on the cover of some kind of business magazine. All things are well. Things look so good for you. Kind of a hero, but it doesn't change you because you don't see yourself as a hero. The way you see yourself is this way. Say it out loud. I'm an unworthy servant. I've only done my job. And so in your context of your multinational corporation, you are a servant as you lead, as you lead. Things are really bad and, you know, failure just follows you like a swarm of mosquitoes sucking the life out of your very spirit. But you are not defeated because that's not who you are. You're not a failure. You are, let's read it. I am an unworthy servant. I have only done my job. Illness and addiction has paid a high price in your life. There's been, there's been a cost. But illness and addiction do not define you. That's not who you are. That's not your value. That's not how you keep score. This is how you keep score. Everybody, I am an unworthy servant. I have only done my job. That's a faith. That's a faith that's transformative. Let's pray that we might have that value that we would have that ideal, that we would have that faith, okay? Lord Jesus, we are beyond words grateful that you would sacrifice your life to take us out of of shame. You, You bought us out of failure and you bought us out of guilt, and then you have given us in this status of being merely an unworthy servant, and oh, we are. We are your slave, and you have given us honor, and you have given us power, and you have given us righteousness. And so it is that that motivates us. We are, we are unworthy servants. We're just going to do our job. Please enjoy Let your spirit work through us so that we might enjoy your presence in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.